the assumption that a lot of people can make with the type of work that you do is that people in sex work must have terrible childhoods, right? Oh. They're full of issues, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I would say that, I mean, who doesn't have a version of childhood trauma, right? I mean, every person to some degree, it's all in varying levels. So I think it's probably unfair to say that people who do sex work are, are broken. Um, so how was your childhood experience? Um, Pretty well and typical. Yeah. I moved when I was five years old from Ireland to the States. So, I mean, that certainly was an adjustment and that's... Mm -hmm probably the most traumatic part of my childhood that I can really think of. I mean, pretty straightforward, nice, about as normal as it comes, very, very positive. It's kind of strange because I almost feel like my childhood was extraordinarily unextraordinary. Like I just was a kid on the East Coast of like New York. It, it, there. There's really not a whole lot to say. <laughs> I was a dork who did theater and dance and Netflix. Okay, so you did theater. Okay, so was that like a high school thing or pretty much throughout? Uh, mostly in high school. I joined up with the theater high school company, which was a whole bunch of fun. So you sing? I or sing. You can? I used to sing way more than I do now, but it's something that I really enjoyed. Going back to childhood then. Uh, in what ways would you say that you explored your sexuality, whether that's childhood, teenage years? Um, and do you feel like your family, I guess, gave you the space to like explore that? Or Because from my experience, most people would say that their parents would catch them in the act and shame them. And there was kind of that stigma around it. Would you say that you had a pretty safe you know, relationship with your family where they kind of stayed out of it? Well, uh, my first relationship was with my two best friends who okay. were both female and they were both dating each other. And this is before any of us had the word for polyamory. We just kind of fell into this threesome situation. <laughs> and my parents' reaction was just kind of this eye roll of just like, whatever, don't stay up all night for God's sake. Was it like, of course you would? Was it one of those? They pretty much just waves it off. They're like, you are all being safe. Yeah, everyone's everyone's comfortable with this. You're all you're all happy. Okay, everyone if everybody is happy, don't come to don't come to me when this becomes dramatic. That's pretty much like I'm not involved. Yeah, I'm washing my hands. This is on you. Well, how did how did that experience go? Oh, it went really well. I mean, we pretty much dated on and off all through high school more or less and then okay it was very funny because it would be like one of them would get a boyfriend and she'd be like yeah but also these are my girlfriends and that's <laughs> how it is okay and he would just he, he would he would just have to live with that if he wanted to was he trying to weasel his way into that that dynamic oh no no that was, no, that was like, do like, they all knew like mm -mm, mm -mm, but oh we don't know what those three are doing but like <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness oh that's funny that's awesome though that i mean you you experienced something like that so young yeah it, it's kind of entertaining now looking back on it i'm like oh my god i was way more adventurous than <laughs> than i am now even like comparatively i've just become very calm and reserved uh -huh. where at one point i distinctly remember getting in trouble because we were goofing off with like cat ears and cat collars. And then 
one of my girlfriends put the other girlfriend on the little leash and then oh, got in trouble. Play. It was like an obstruction during a fire drill. It, it just in case anybody is wondering how the girl in high school who wore cat ears is doing, she's doing just a okay. She's crushing it. She's doing she's great. Crushing it. So I actually before uh kind of preparing for this, I went and listened to the episode with you on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Oh, that was because so I much you know fun. It was fun. It was a good, it was a good episode, but I also kind of wanted to make sure I didn't ask, you know, too many similar things because I want to make sure that things are a little different for you. Um, but one thing that I do want to touch on uh, from that episode was you mentioned that you felt like porn, apart from like the ethically sourced kind, was more of a, like a negative thing. And I thought you did a really good job of explaining the ways that you thought that it would be damaging specifically for men, but how then it in turn can affect relationships with women or any other partner dynamic. It doesn't have to be hetero. Um, would you share a little bit about that? Yes. And my thoughts have actually evolved a little bit on that. Okay. So the primary concern is the ethical consumption of pornography. That has to happen first and foremost. That looks like consuming porn that is created with 2257 in place. This is the paperwork that verifies that everybody involved is of age and consenting. Okay. Then you want to buy your pornography, actually purchase it, ideally from the creator themselves. If not from the creator, then the DVD or whatever the downloadable may be. That is going to ensure that the performer is being paid for their work and it hasn't just been like ripped off of a DVD and then distributed right. online. For, but for who's using time. DVDs anymore anyway? So Hey, you would you know. be surprised. A lot of our DVD rights actually came from pornography DVDs in the first place. Like they're the ones who kind of made that into a whole thing in some weird way. But much in the same way that the internet internet was created for pornography okay i didn't know that but that makes sense that it would be um so but uh one of the other things that you mentioned though was just in, in the ways that it could be damaging specifically to men could you touch just a little bit on that unless those views might have changed uh, a little bit too no i i still think that the over consumption of pornography mm -hmm. and going down the uh the porno rabbit hole where no. One video leads to the next video, to the next video, which gets more hardcore and more specific, to the next video, which is even more hardcore and even more specific, until the next thing you know, you have 15 tabs open, you finally finish, and then you do like the window close of shame where you very quickly <laughs> try to close out all of those windows that you would open going on this weird pornographic yeah, What's wrong with me? <laughs> like, okay. It's not that there's something wrong with you. It's just that the over accessibility of free porn yes, yes. has enabled us to get extremely specific, extremely niche, and it takes the intimacy out of pornography and instead turns it into a consumptive thing. And mm -hmm. that's not a very healthy relationship to have with something. The relationship that you have with your body should be a positive thing done mm -hmm. intentionally. So if you're choosing to consume pornography, Pick out the porn you're planning to consume, enjoy it, and then also enjoy yourself. It shouldn't be like a, a rush, like, oh, 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 kind of, kind of 
experience that you're doing in the bathroom at work. Like, don't God. Yeah, it's not jujitsu on your dick. You're not trying to break it. No, so, no. Yeah. And if you do that on your dick, you will indeed actually, actually break it. You'll damage the nerve endings. It'll make it harder for you to orgasm when you're actually with your partner. It, uh, it can cause a whole bunch of issues that that death grip, death grip syndrome. Yeah. That yeah, is, you're not trying to choke it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. Be nice. Uh, so it sounds like really the main difference then between, I guess, that kind of porn and then sex work is that obviously there's a real life person involved in sex work, right? There's a connection, um, which then makes it a little bit more intimate. So would you say that the work that you do is healing? And if it is, is it also healing for you? I and here's so that could be an over spiritualization of it. You know? Oh, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because it's something that I struggle with. In relation okay. to my industry specifically, in that sex work needs to be viewed as a job in the same way that every other job is a job. And if you find that job fulfilling, fantastic. But that shouldn't be a prerequisite for the job to be acceptable. One way that people find sex work more acceptable is like this uh, sanctity scale of is the sex worker deeply fulfilled and healing and all yeah. of these other things is kind of this like meter to what is acceptable and what isn't and who's allowed to do sex work and who is actually being coerced or forced. Mm -hmm. So I, I struggle to answer that. Because I don't want to perpetuate that stereotype. Because monogamy is so intertwined uh, with society, anything other than that can be viewed as a threat to what they have. And so on one hand, I guess I can't blame people because that's how we've been conditioned to feel, right? Mm -hmm. That monogamy is the right way. That's the only way. And I'm not saying that it's wrong necessarily, but what I hear people say when they say that is really like a, a fear. It's a fear that they're either not going to fit in with society anymore, that they're going to be forced to change what they have or give up what relationship they already, they have going on. So I guess the question would be, how do you see sex work then as a benefit to society? Well, sex workers enter into bounded type relationships with their guests. Mm -hmm. This is the same type of relationship that a therapist may enter into with their client. There has to be mutual trust, honesty, compassion, and care for both of those two types of relationships to work. Mm -hmm. But those types of relationships aren't a threat to unbound or more traditional type relationships. I'm not looking to go out and steal anybody's husband. I am very happily single. Thank you so very much. I don't want your husband taken back, please. Yeah, nobody wants his crusty ass, yeah. <laughs> no, th think of it kind of like a daycare situation. Okay. You drop your kid off at daycare, right? Okay. And they have this wonderful time and they come home and they're so relaxed and they go right to bed and they take a nap and you're like, this is the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, <laughs> hear me out. It's kind of the same thing if you are in a sexless relationship, mm -hmm. your husband wants to have sex. You don't want him to go off and have another relationship. You want to stay married. He really wants to have sex. Hi, 
Hello. <laughs> this is the role I fulfill within society. This is one of the many, many, many services that I provide. Yeah. So in that example, I'm able to alleviate some of his pressures, as it were, and he returns home back to his relationship without that like scratching need. It's not weighing on his mind so much. And it's a little controversial if sex is a need. I more so believe that we are genetically programmed to seek it out. We want it, we desire it, and we will be affected by the lack of it. I agree. So when we get that need fulfilled, we're satiated, we're more relaxed, and it allows our other more traditional type relationships to blossom and grow without that pressure. Okay. I, that, I mean, you heard it here, folks. I mean, if, if shit's going south and you don't want to, you don't want to have sex, I mean, you can always go that, that option. I mean, it, it makes sense to me that that would be a good option. It, it's just kind of like one of the, the many services that sex workers fulfill. Like mm-hmm. where do rape survivors go to have a positive first sexual experience without being traumatized and re-triggered and having somebody that can kind of handhold them through that and guide them. Mm-hmm. Hi, that's yeah. a sex worker job. That's what we do. Um, sex workers are also sex educators. We teach women how to discover their own pleasure, discover how to orgasm sometimes for the first time in their life because they never learned how to touch themselves. I work with guests that are disabled in wheelchair or use other mobility equipments and help find out what kind of intimate positions are not just going to feel good, but like they can actually physically do. Cause like you've got to figure those things out, especially if you want to feel confident going into like your first dating sex experience Hi, we can troubleshoot all the things and make sure that you feel confident going in or virgins that want to have a good first experience or couples that want to have a safe threesome or want to try kink for the first time or somebody who has a fetish and doesn't want to be stigmatized for their fetish and they want to go see a sex worker to experience that. Like, There's so many options. It is such a list of how sex workers give back and what sex workers actually do for society. It's, yeah. it, it, it's like an incredible, incredible list because there's so many different types of sex workers. So uh, one of the things you said, I mean, you specifically mentioned people, you know, who might be, you know, a rape survivor, somebody who's gone through that experience. Um, I mean, to me, that kind of does sound like that part would be a healing experience because in a way you're, you're providing that safe place for somebody to, I guess, reconnect with their body because there's probably going to be a little bit of disconnection. Um, so have you had an opportunity or do you know anybody who's maybe had the, the chance to work with somebody like that? Mm-hmm. I, I mention it because it's something that I specifically offer and have gotten okay. to work with seven or eight different guests now, men as well as women and a few folks that are non-binary and mm-hmm. one folk that was intersex and kind of helped them reconfigure what it's supposed to feel like, give them the safety to explore their own bodies, have their bodies explored by somebody else, find out if any parts of their bodies like are holding on to tension, like that might be holding on to trauma without necessarily realizing that trauma is being stored there. And a lot of the times with the rape situation, you have trauma getting stored in really intimate parts, like, 
a very common complaint for women that have been raped is they get this like soreness under their arms and it's from doing this. It's from unconsciously rolling your shoulders forward and then like holding your arms tight against the body. And it causes this muscle here to become tightened. Well, that's a pretty intimate spot of the body to have touched and explored. And well, you're not going to do that with a traditional massage therapist. That's for sure. So hi, let's, Let's get Let's to figure this out. Your body. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you know, talking about services. So what are the services, I guess, that you offer? And then are there any that you prefer? Like, what's the most fun for you? Oh, goodness. Well, don't make me choose a favorite. I, I don't like to pick favorites, okay. but I offer all sorts of different services. The most popular of which is called the Girlfriend Experience or a GFE. So... In traditional terms, the girlfriend experience is as if we are in a relationship for the time that we are choosing to spend together. I essentially take on the role of your girlfriend. I'm somebody that you can confide in, cuddle with, laugh with, watch a movie, have dinner, go to a museum, try some crazy, kinky, sexy stuff. Have a whole bunch of fun, have a few drinks, fall asleep together, have breakfast in the morning, shower off and like scrub each other's backs. Just all those nice parts of a relationship that when you're not in a relationship, you oftentimes miss. And I feel like that's a really great form of self-care, especially for people who choose not to be in a traditional relationship aren't in a traditional relationship or feel as if they aren't ready yet for a traditional relationship and kind of want to like test the waters first. So um, I I guess my assumption will be that more men probably show up, right? To whether it's a ranch or something like that. Uh, Do you think that maybe there's stigma or fear for women to go try something like that? Do you think that's a situation at all or no? Historically speaking, women at one point in time were actually banned from the legal brothels. This carried on through the 80s before that ban went away. And it's only in more recent times that women are becoming more bold and exploring sexuality. In the past five years that I've been doing this professionally, the amount of emails that I get specifically from women has tripled and quadrupled several times over. It went from maybe seeing one or two women my first year working to, gosh, several dozen. Wow. Okay. It's, so it's, it's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. And my favorite, my favorite is my favorite, favorite, favorite. And I, I hate to take favorites, but what, okay. you're You're asking, like, what's one of my favorite types of things yeah. is when someone has recently been divorced And is kind of looking to enjoy themselves sexually and give themselves permission to be a little sexually selfish even and actually be pleased and enjoy the act of being pleased and receiving affection. I feel like that's incredibly healing as it were oh it comes back to it so it is (laughs) it is it's a it's a good way to kind of end cap a Uh relationship which otherwise might be closing with a wound and kind of put like a nice band-aid of a good experience on top of that and oftentimes Uh it kind of acts as a healing salve almost because then you're more ready to move on to that next relationship because you've already had a relationship with somebody else who wasn't your ex like yeah you can do this 
Yeah, I can move on. Okay. Yeah. I guess it would give somebody the courage to, to press forward. Uh, so one of the things uh, that I've often read online in regards to sex work is the claim that by decriminalizing it and making it legal, it could potentially uh, end sex trafficking. So do you think that that is true and, and how so? Absolutely. So I work with a couple of different anti-sex trafficking nonprofits. I work with one that is focused in Thailand and one that is focused here in the States. Both of those organizations support decriminalization as a means to end the demand for child sex trafficking. Now, keep in mind that child sex trafficking is only a small, small percent of sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is a much more broad term. And where that tends to happen is in the underbelly of society. It's happening in the shadows. What we have a country has have done is we've taken sex work and we've suppressed it. We've pushed it down. It is criminalized in 49 of the 50 states. And in Nevada, it's only legal at the brothels. You can't just pick somebody up in Vegas. That's just the same as trying to pick somebody up in New York. It's the same level of criminality. As a result of criminalizing and suppressing sex work, we pushed it into that underbelly and have allowed sex trafficking to become an additional spoke of human trafficking. And human trafficking isn't just sex trafficking, of course. Mm -hmm. There's domestic trafficking. There's all sorts of other career fields that are trying to tackle their own difficulties with that human labor trade. However, we can eliminate the sex trafficking demand by creating a legalized above board and decriminalized system. And I think it's important that we do both things, not just one. Decriminalizing sex work protects people who are the most marginalized, such as those who are being trafficked in from out of country, abducted and forced, folks that are underage and being pushed into these horrible situations there's not going to be a demand because there is now a legally accessible option. The legal part of sex work would be a little bit different than what we currently have in Nevada. What we need is true independent sex work, which means I don't have to get my license through a Nevada brothel and forego 50% of my income. In what other planet would I be required to give up $600,000 just to do my job legally? In no no other profession would I have to pay so high a fine. I would just simply be able to become a business owner. How is that the case now, I guess? How, How has it been okay with that being the way it's set up? It's not okay. And if anything, I feel like more and more people are starting to open their eyes and realize that the Nevada brothel system doesn't actually empower or give rights to the sex workers and instead has essentially just created another form of pimping, albeit legal, non-abusive. It's certainly not what we imagine There's no drugs involved. There's no human trafficking involved. It's a consensual relationship. I can leave at any time. But at the same time, they still get to take 50% of my income, whether I like it or not. Otherwise, I simply don't work at that location. And they go, "Mm, no, we don't need you here. So there's no ability for the ladies to negotiate their contracts. And then you throw on taxes, right? And health insurance. And I mean, yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. 
because I'm an independent contractor. I get no rights through the ranch itself. And yet I have to give them 50% of my income. To just hmm. have a building for you to use. Yeah, mm -hmm. it seems interesting. You right? Know, messed up. Yeah. Wow. And right now there are no more options to obtain licenses. There's a fixed number that are grandfathered in, no more being added. And as a result, there is no pathway for somebody like myself to then become an owner without having to buy out an existing owner out of their business. Okay. So super shady is what that is. Uh, not ideal. You, yeah, you didn't have to say it. I'll say it. It's, it's not ideal. That's why we've got to have a system that allows for both brothel work in more of a co-op style, as well as, hi, I'm just going to get a hotel room and I'm going to handle all of my own business because I am a small business professional. I can do this. So then uh, speaking of the, you know, the, the rules and the laws, uh, I read you know, about the legal battle right, that you were undertaking. So I just wanted to see if you could share a little bit about that and how that went and maybe what could be done moving forward. Yes. So I sued the governor of Nevada over the closure of Nevada's legal brothels. Because sex work is only legal through the Nevada brothels, when he heavy-handedly closed them and prevented them from opening since last March, mm -hmm. he essentially took my legal right and my legal ability to work away from me. Unfortunately, I did not win the case because no Lyon County brothel owners were interested in joining the lawsuit, despite the fact that I did reach out and ask them to please show their support. It was cited in the judge's findings, not once but twice, that as an independent contractor, I don't have property rights. So essentially my license is worthless, meaningless, and has no value in the eyes of the government. So sex workers don't have rights. Brothel owners have rights, but sex workers? Sex workers don't have rights. That was made very evidenced by how this lawsuit played out. Yeah. As far as what we do going forward, first, we need to fund a co-opt brothel. We need okay. to pull together a pool of investors that are serious and interested in investing in women entrepreneurs and allowing them to blossom and be successful. As part of that, it needs to be a co-opt model with profit sharing for the ladies that are working at the house. They need to have negotiable contracts. They need to be flexible contracts. The ladies need to be able to work as true independent contractors rather than being handed a fixed sheet of paper and being told if you don't like it, beat it. That's, yeah. that's not good enough. Why that's do you think we, the... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Need to have happen. I, I think that would be the easiest, quickest route to tangible change because right now is kind of the perfect time to buy and reband a brothel, I would think. It's closed right now due to the pandemic, so you could remodel it however you so desired. It would give you time to collaborate with the sex workers and see who's interested in coming and working at that location. And once things do reopen, well, I can say from firsthand experience, there are so many guests that are very, very eager and interested in returning. It's going to be like the Roaring Twenties all over again. Why do you think the the brothels or like the owners of them uh, didn't want to get involved? 
I think that the owners didn't want to get involved because they're short sighted. Mm. They can only see so far as what is in front of them. And so the suffering that the brothel closure has caused, it's not to them personally. They're very high net worth individuals worth millions and millions of dollars. In fact, if you go through Facebook, you can see enjoying vacations up and down the coast of California, traveling, treating this almost like it's a holiday. Yeah. Whereas then you look at all of the cashiers, the employees of the ranch, and so many of them are struggling and they're perhaps still unemployed, trying to find other jobs maybe hopefully crossing their fingers that the ranches will reopen and others have simply had to move on. And then we look at the ladies. Uh, there is an ungodly amount of sex stigma that exists in our society. How many people are going to hire somebody who has sex worker on their resume for just a, a casual job or even a serious professional job without thinking, oh, gosh, what if my clients find out that I hired a prostitute? Oh, heavens no. I can't have this person work for me. Ooh, like it's like everybody has sex, right? So, I mean, yeah. what's the difference? But that stigma is real. It seems yeah. as if having to get the license from Lyon County it's it's only there to stigmatize me like my license isn't worth anything in the state of Nevada, but it's used against me constantly. It shows up on background checks. There was a lawyer who requested no less than 27 times trying to access the names, birthdays and social security numbers and home addresses of all the sex workers in the county for the past 10 years. 27 individual requests over three years. That's a lot. That's so what is my license for? Then I don't, I, I don't know. And that's, uh, that's, I, I wish I had something to say that made it better. You know, I, I don't, unfortunately, other than, you know, there are things that we can do as a society to maybe be a little more open-minded and at least be willing to have conversations. Right. Cause I think that's really obviously the first first step is conversations because no one's going to change mm -hmm. their mind. Mm -hmm. So having these conversations are good because that's what's going to kind of lead to to that. Um, so with that being said, though, obviously 2020 was a super, super difficult year for a lot of people. So do you feel like you have learned something about yourself that maybe surprised you? Or have there been major lessons that you can kind of take away from the year? So I, I learned I'm a little bit more fiery than I think I realized. I very much so took up the mantle as a sex worker activist during this shutdown mm -hmm. and really tried to center advocacy as a huge focus of what I did with my day-to-day -day time. What can I do from my position of privilege within the world of sex work to make the lives of other sex workers better? Whether that's starting a website, I started sexworkersupport.com, which is a list of all of the different sex worker mutual funds that came about as a result of the pandemic. So rather than having to hunt the internet to see what funds they can qualify for, 
you can just go to sexworkersupport.com and see a list of all the funds. And of course, if you're able to donate to the funds to support those various affected sex workers. I put together a couple of different fundraisers for various sex worker nonprofits that were in need of immediate short-term funds. For example, there was a BIPOC sex worker fund seeking immediate housing for a really bad situation. And so I was able to throw a decent bit of money into that and help them with their fundraising. Just giving back as much as this industry has given me has mm -hmm. felt like something really important and worthwhile to do. Do you think that uh, there's anything else as far as uh, going beyond career that you feel like you might have learned about yourself. I know you mentioned that you feel like you're a little fiery, so, which actually it's funny because when I listened to the episode with Tim and now I'm like, there's a little bit of a difference between you then, which was what, 2017, mm -hmm. um, which is good. I mean, we're supposed to grow. Is there anything else that you feel like, like I know from my friends, the thing that they realize is they spent too much time at work, right? And so they didn't have enough time for family or friends or themselves. And so they're starting to reevaluate like, whoa, maybe I should like, I don't know, not work as much or, you know, go on this retreat or meditate or pick up something else to kind of help me as a person. Is, have, has there been anything like that for you? Yes, I have been spending more and more time running around outside. I've okay. been hiking. I've done cross-country skiing. I've done a little bit of snowshooting, a whole bunch of horseback riding and trail riding. I've taken my dogs on hikes. I've taken my bike out a whole bunch of times. I actually fell on ice the other day on my bike. Oops. <laughs> so you're all right though, right? You look oh, fine. Oh. You don't look like you busted anything. Oh no, good to, okay. good to go. I... I I am unfortunately quite a clumsy individual. So the more I am outside, the more I seem to manage to scratch, scrape, bruise, and bump myself. At least the fall is small, right? Because I don't know if people know how tall you are, if you care to share oh, that. Oh, yeah. So Alice Little isn't just the name I use for like, oh, that's a cute name. No, like I'm four foot eight inches tall. I, I don't even weigh 100 pounds. Like I am... <laughs> I am smaller than you think I am. Like, <laughs> right. I am shorter than the average 12-year-old. It's, I, I'm, I'm very, 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 I'm, I'm petite. The last thing that I want to ask you, I know this is actually pretty soon, uh, as far as we're supposed to go a little bit longer, uh, would be, what do you love about yourself? Oh, gosh, I'd say that I love Love, love, love my intelligence and my ability to understand people and where they're coming from. I, I think that intelligence is a gift. It's something that we are born with. It's a privilege in a way. And so I like to take that and use it to try and help other people and solve problems anytime I can. Like, oh, well, a lot of sex workers are saying that they can't find funds to apply for because most of the sex work terms are blacklisted and shadow banned. And it's very difficult to find any sort of resources on the Internet. All right, cool. I'll just put them all on a list. Simple, easy. I can bang out a website. Let me just Google how to 
do a WordPress website. Yeah. Okay, cool. Template. Sure. Yeah. I can hosting. Sure. Yeah. I'll figure that out in an afternoon, whatever. Let's get this problem solved. So I, I try to use it to the best of my ability to do good Is things. Really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then understanding people, empathy. It's so, so important to be able to understand where people are coming from, that their actions and reactions are coming from their own experiences and that they've lived this entire complex life that you have no idea about. And so you can't always assume where people are coming from. And the greatest gift that you can give anybody is the gift of listening and being understanding and compassionate and just being like, no, I hear what you are saying. Explain it to me. I don't understand what you're saying, but I hear it. I feel it help me understand how you are feeling, what you are thinking. Let me see where you're coming from. And I don't know. I feel like we would have a heck of a lot less internet arguments if everybody took a compassion approach to, yes, I, I don't agree with you. However, I'm not declaring to be a terrible person based off of your belief system why don't we two adults talk about this and come to an understanding? It doesn't have to be radical acceptance. Just understand where people are coming from. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't hurt them. And if anything, you gain so much knowledge from understanding things that you even find reprehensible in a way. Would you say, I know I said last question, but apparently not. Would you say uh, that you're an empath? I, I don't necessarily identify with the term empath. Okay. I, oh boy, here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> I feel like empath as an identity sometimes is used to give oneself permission to not establish appropriate boundaries. Oh, I'm empathic, I couldn't help but feel compassion and try and help them. When what may have actually happened is that you didn't respect yourself enough to set an appropriate boundary to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And protecting yourself isn't, it's not a bad thing. And so when we talk about empathy, I don't want to make that the center of someone's identity or my identity, like, oh, I am an empath, this is who I am, this is what I do. I don't feel like that's necessarily a healthy identity for someone to have. And it's far healthier to approach it with, you should feel empathy towards other people. However, you don't have the responsibility to be compassionate 24 seven. And that a little bit of self-preservation, it, it's not a bad thing. That can be a very, very healthy thing. Healthy boundaries are good boundaries. I think a lot of people are very codependent and they're not aware that they are. And I mm. think that's probably part of the problem is if you don't know that there's a problem to, to begin with, you don't know what to fix. And I think we just like, I know I'm guilty of it. I have the the savior complex, right? I want to swoop in yes. and fix stuff and make sure everybody's good and they're happy. And, and that's something that I have to kind of pull back on and just go, all right, this isn't, this doesn't involve with me. I don't need to always get putting my fingers in the pie. I need to back away. Mm -hmm. And it's healthy to be able to identify what your tendencies are in terms of, are you saving someone? Are you being saved? Are you having to attack somebody? Does there have to be like a mutual enemy or something to fight against? 
Because at the end of the day, the relationship needs to be built on terminology and experiences that are positive while being supportive and having that emotional trust to be able to lean on your partner is important. The relationship cannot be healthily built from this place of constantly requiring conflict. There shouldn't have to be conflict for there to be a relationship. And so if you're seeking to always save somebody, it means that there always has to be something to save somebody from. Exactly. You, you don't want that all the it's time. Exhausting. It is. It's, it's terrible. Exhausting. Yeah. And so like one of the other wonderful things about being a sex worker is that I get to help model healthy quality relationships that let's go out to dinner let's have that experience let's enjoy each other's company let's make these positive wonderful memories because once you have like a point of reference for oh that's what it's supposed to be like yep. you'll find that you're also setting higher standards for yourself and entering into healthier relationships who knew that you were also a psychologist? I didn't know before I got right. Do you are, are you a psychology nerd at all? Do you do you I, love to die, like dip in? I am. I did pursue a degree for a hot minute. I took okay. a whole bunch of classes, but I never actually like finished it all the way out. I have like a two year, but that doesn't really count for much. <laughs> I mean, as far as having your own practice or your yeah. No, I am not a professional. I cannot. Be psychologist i cannot be your therapist i can be a sex worker yes i can fulfill all of those duties and i still think it's extremely important for my guests to have mental health professionals that they work with and yes. oftentimes i'll even collaborate with a mental health professional and kind of touch base with them especially for handling something such as uh, a phobia, for example, like of being touched or uh, trying to overcome something that was triggering. And we might kind of discuss where that person's coming from. So of course that's all done with their consent and knowledge and they have to give us permission to communicate with each other. Like I have a very, very, very strict code of ethics that I follow. Like everything is done with consent. That's, so that's the thing that's, uh, wild to me is how people, I guess, completely reject the idea of sex work without one, having a conversation with somebody like yourself. Um, and I guess they view it as unethical, but everything I'm hearing you say is very by the books, very ethical, very well thought out, uh, seems to be done right. And so I guess that maybe the last thing is if you could speak directly to maybe somebody who's listening, although I think most of the people who listen to my podcast are probably open-minded, um, but so. in case they're not, yeah, if you could speak to them and just, you know, not necessarily change their mind, but kind of, uh, what would you say to that person? Oh, well, the first thing I'd say is I'm definitely not here to change your mind. I am simply asking you to have compassion for the people whose needs are met by sex workers. Imagine if you had a child who was born with something like, let's say, autism. And your autistic child communicates primarily through a nonverbal device like a sight board. They're of age. They tell you that they're interested in sex. How do you plan to send that child into dating now as an 18 year old? Let me know what your plan is. Who is going to teach them, handhold them, guide them, help explain to them their body, pleasure, consent? Because 
I'm that person. That is a large part of what I do is I work with everyone without judgment. If they are able to give consent and they are of age, I am comfortable helping anybody learn more about their bodies, about their sexuality, about how to feel comfortable in their own skin. It's an important role that has existed within society since the dawn of society. We see evidence of sex workers in every single civilization throughout history. It's wild. Like Mesopotamia had sex workers. China had sex workers. Japan had sex workers. We had sex workers here. It's part of how the Western Front was built was on sex work and brothels and bordellos. It's such a part of our history. And yet we like to forget that this is something we have had with us for a long time. It wouldn't be a part of our society. It wouldn't be called the world's oldest profession if there wasn't a need within society. You may not need it, but don't take away someone else's ability to access it and get their needs fulfilled. Like, hey, you don't need the wheelchair ramp, but you don't like hold up signs protesting a wheelchair ramp for another parking space. You don't need another parking space. That person needs a wheelchair ramp. Let them have their wheelchair ramp. You might not need a sex worker, but uh, someone else might let them have access. And also think about all of the benefits to society in terms of just sheer taxation dollars. If every single small county had the ability to have a brothel, I can tell you it would raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for local economies that they could use to fix education, roads, buy police cars, in Lyon County, where I work, brothels are 30% of the discretionary budget. That's how they afford new police wow. cars every single year. It's like $500,000 in benefit for four locations. Four. That's it. In the entire county, $500,000. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> plus it's jobs, plus it's more money entering the local economy, which is good for the local economy. And we don't care where we work. Tuck us away somewhere. Fine. We don't want to be near the school. We don't want to be next to your church. We are not interested in taking up space. Just give us a space of our own that we can access and work and live our lives. That's it. That's all we want. Let us survive. That's, I think that's the perfect thing to end on. So one, thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, oh, this process. So thank you. And uh, if before I go, though, if you would mind uh, share maybe some social media handles, if somebody could find you. Yes. Best way to find me is through my website. That's going to be thealicelittle.com. I'm also on YouTube, youtube.com backslash TV. Alice Little TV is also my handle on Twitter. As far as Instagram goes, you can find me at the Alice Little Official or just email me Alice Little at the AliceLittle.com. I'd love, love, love to hear from you, answer any questions, hear your thoughts. Let's get to know each other. 